Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. Presented by Visit Arizona. Going to spring training? Make sure your first stop is at visitarizona.com slash spring training. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday, January 24th, 2019, as we record this episode. And on this episode, we will be recapping the Hall of Fame voting as the new inductees are Mariano Rivera, the first player ever to be voted unanimously. He'll be joined with the late great pitcher Roy Holiday, ex-Orioles and Yankees starter Mike Messina, and Seattle Mariners DH great Edgar Martinez. How does next year's ballot class look? And it'll be the first time that Paul Konerko appears on the ballot. What are his chances of surviving the 5% cutoff next year? We will also take a look at the non-roster invitees that will be attending spring training camp. But first, there is some big baseball news as former Arizona Diamondback center fielder A.J. Pollock has signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Could have helped the White Sox, but the Dodgers might be in need of moving one of their own outfielders in Jock Peterson. Does it make sense for the White Sox to acquire an outfielder like Jock Peterson? Well, joining me to discuss is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. How do you feel about Jock Peterson? It's a, you know, he's the kind of player that makes a lot more sense if Manny Machado is here. <laughs> it's uh, with, with Machado just looming over everything and still looming ever, over everything more than a month after the White Sox and Machado Mets. Um, it just warps the entire landscape for free agent and trade targets. So uh, it's really hard to evaluate them on their own merits. Yeah, Jock Peterson, you know, the positives about him is that he's under team control for the next two seasons. Mm-hmm. So it does help the White Sox. I know a lot of fans are saying, well, the White Sox have a lot of outfield prospects. I still feel like after Elo Jimenez, there's a gap that maybe Luis Robert could be ready by 2020, but 
maybe not, probably not, more likely than not. You can count on him to be an everyday starter in 2020. So the White Sox are going to need some help still in the outfield. Jock Peterson being under control for two the next two years helps with that. According to BaseballReference.com, Peterson was a 2.4 war player in 2015, a 3.3 war player in 2016, and in 2018, last year, he was 2.3 wins above replacement. In 2017, he wasn't so good as he was negative 0.3 wins above replacement, and we've had that conversation. I remember having that conversation with you, Jim, about who are some players that the White Sox can pick off from other teams. And every time we talk about Jock Peterson in past episodes of the podcast, we decided that we'd rather have UCL Puig. But Puig is with Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Peterson has demonstrated to be an average outfielder. Uh, and I know that's not very sexy. But the White Sox trotted out, again, the worst outfield in all of Major League Baseball last year. They were better suited to play in the International League than the Major Leagues. Is they were worth negative wins above replacement. So even though the outfield prospects are coming up, most of them are two seasons away, count me in as someone that thinks that the White Sox should make this deal, even though we are still uncertain if Manny Machado will sign with the White Sox. Let's say the White Sox do move forward and they decide, Rick Hahn decides, yes, this this is a good target for us. What players do you think the White Sox could possibly move to make such a deal happen? Yeah, that's the big question, what it costs. Because I, I like the talent, and yeah, I think the biggest reservation with Peterson is he's not a good center fielder. He's below average, and, and you know maybe he's his best center field days are behind him, and it's just kind of a negative presence there defensively in center field. But you know, given the, the left-handedness, the power, um, the, you know, that he would compliment somebody like Adam Engel. Adam Engel could come in in late innings, uh, you provide a right-handed compliment and a superior defensive option center, and you can get by covering him there. Um, you know, there's a lot to like, um, but I think when it comes to the White Sox, and, and that's why Machado is so, you know, he looms over this because I, I think the, the value of Peterson hinges on, you know, what the White Sox intend to do with him. If you, you know, like say if, you acquire Peterson without having a firm idea if anybody bigger is coming along, then you don't really want to, you know, trade a top 10, you know, White Sox prospect like, you know, a Blake Rutherford type. You might feel iffy about that. Like, uh, yeah, that's a bit, uh, you know, throwing away future value and not getting much in the present. Um, you know, I've heard Carson Fulmer's name um, as a possibility, given that the White Sox don't really have a use for him right now, or at least he'll have to kind of, prove that he's redefined as a reliever in order to make himself that compelling. And, you know, that's fine. Um, but I think, you know, say if Machado is involved and now all of a sudden Peterson's a complimentary player who shores up the outfield, you know, potentially turns the White Sox outfield into two out of three above average positions when they're basically in the hole all the way around last year, then you can start kind of looking at the White Sox as an 80-win team, as a as a team that could theoretically put a scare into Cleveland in the first half and maybe get some, um, you know, uh, get some help at the trade deadline and, and kind of shape them into a contender earlier than usual. But without that bigger acquisition, uh, I think who is given up for him, you know, I think is a lot more important. I'm dreaming of a Jimenez, Jay, and Peterson outfield now, Jim. I, again, it's not a sexy outfield except for Eloy Jimenez. He's awesome. Yeah. But <laughs> when when you look at the projections, I mean, Jimenez is getting 
three wins above replacement projections. Peterson's getting two and a half wins. And then John Jay is looking at eight tenths of a win. You're looking at a six war outfield. Okay. That might be decent in the American league. That might be an average ish outfield. Uh, but I still don't think it's enough, obviously, to ha- as a unit to help carry the White Sox to be an AL Central contender. Uh, so I do agree with you that if, if the White Sox do get Jock Peterson, it makes sense that there's another deal coming behind. Uh, but again, if you have this opportunity, and you're right, Jim, depending on the cost, if the cost isn't that great because the Dodgers are in a bind, they do need to move an outfielder after signing... AJ Pollock, they got eight outfielders right now. Uh, so they got to move people. Maybe that helps with negotiations and leverage. And I'm not saying that you could steal Jack Peterson away from the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, but it may not cost a top 10 prospect. And maybe you can get away, uh, like you mentioned, like Blake Rutherford, you can deal from some of your strength uh, to get a Jack Peterson. I don't know. I think it's worthwhile. Uh, again, we've been, I, I feel like we've ha- tossed the idea as far as the White Sox trading for Jack Peterson the last couple of years. They're very popular trade partners with each other. The Dodgers and White Sox have made numerous moves in the last couple of years. Uh, so we'll see. But uh, taking off the White Sox lenses for a moment, how do you feel about this deal for the Dodgers getting A.J. Pollock? And is this another team, Jim, that takes himself out of the running for Bryce Harper? It seems like they are, and I think it was Dan Samborski who likened the Dodgers offseason to pushing a piece of cauliflower around a plate, <laughs> uh, you know, never directly addressing their needs, never directly improving, just kind of moving things around, and at the end, you still have the same amount of food you started with. Uh, I get that kind of impression. I think you know they're so deep and they're so modular with their lineups. You know, the, the amount of guys that can rotate between the infield and the outfield and, and you know, when they're in playing American League teams, DH and lefties, righties, um, I guess it, it's, it seems like it's a little bit weird to prioritize right-handedness so much. Um, you know, they were just fine last year. And so that's a little bit weird to me. But I think, you know, when you have the talent they have, when you have the resources they have, and when it comes to the trade deadline and who they can add when they're unencumbered, say, from luxury tax consideration, um, they're still scary. It just seems like it's a lot of movement, and there isn't a whole lot of uh, improvement out of it, but maybe they they just don't need it, and they're just kind of thinking big picture. What if guys get injured? Uh, What about if we face a dominant bullpen in October? Yeah, and the new rumors after this move, you have John Heyman tweeting out that the next target for the Dodgers is JT Riomuto, which is really interesting because the Dodgers have already acquired Russell Martin, and it seemed like that they were really happy with Austin Barnes. That's why they let Yasmani Grandel walk, and Grandel obviously uh, signed with the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, It would be really intriguing if the Dodgers do take that next step and they get JT Riomuto. I I guess from a distance you can look at it and be like, well, how in the world are they going to manage the 25-man roster? But it's just like, the problem of being super rich talent wise to being so deep that you have those conversations and you consider those issues on, you don't know how you're going to organize a lineup filled with two plus war guys Uh, (laughs) compared to what we talk about is can anyone in this lineup be worth more than three wins above replacement in 2019, (laughs) totally different conversations between when you're talking about the white Sox and the Los Angeles Dodgers. 
at the moment. So the Dodgers get richer. They get A.J. Pollock. And we'll continue following the Jock Peterson rumors if anything does happen. Uh, again, you can read us on SoxMachine.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at SoxMachine. Next, we'll talk about the Hall of Fame. But before we do that, a quick word from our sponsor. Winter has definitely come to Chicago, especially this past week. And man, is this not fun to deal with. And you know what would be fun? Heading to Arizona this spring. Follow the White Sox to spring training as Arizona has so much to offer. All of the ballparks are within 50 miles of Phoenix, making it really easy to follow the team. While you're in Arizona, check out all there is to offer. Beautiful landscapes and amazing sights to see. You can't miss out visiting the Grand Canyon or Monument Valley or some of the great crap breweries in the area like Four Peaks and Goldwater Brewing Company. Bring the kids along as Arizona is a fantastic destination for families with plenty of resorts to enjoy water parks, horseback riding, and activities for all ages. There's so much to do in Arizona, and the best way to plan for your trip is going to visit Arizona.com slash training. Great recommendations on lodging, logistics, places to stay and eat. It's the first stop you should make while planning for your trip to visit Arizona. So again, visit Arizona.com slash training. The Baseball Hall of Fame inducted four new players, the greatest closer of all time, New York Yankee Mariano Rivera, the late Roy Holiday, Mike Messina gets the nod, and Edgar Martinez gets in on his final run on the ballot. And the biggest news is that Mariano Rivera got 100% of the vote for the first time in Hall of Fame history. They will be joining former Chicago White Sox great Harold Baines in Cooperstown this summer. On that topic, Jim, 100%. It finally happened. So many people said it was never going to happen if it didn't happen for Ken Griffey Jr. or Greg Maddox or Babe Ruth or whoever you want to pick in the Hall of Fame. Uh, It never happened. It finally happened. Are you cool with Mariano Rivera getting that unanimous honor first? It's a little bit, uh, I guess, um, it's a little bit of a waste of a unanimous First unanimous pick going to Rivera, I think, you know, say if Griff or Maddox or you know, somebody else before them, uh, you know, broke the mold, and then you would have, you know, guys getting into the Hall of Fame with 100% of the vote on the regular, then you'd be like, yeah, you know, Rivera is a worthy pick. Everybody agrees, great. But as the first one, it's weird. Uh, you know, given all the angst over DHs and how much they contribute, to bring in a closer who only has thrown fewer than one third of the innings that Greg Maddox has thrown. <laughs> It's bizarre. Uh, you know, it, it's just weird how closers are so easily accepted given how limited their role is, while DHs, you know, are they really players? Are they, you know, what about their defense? You know, and, and all the hand-wringing over that. So, you know, I think it's a little weak for a closer to be the first unanimous pick. But, yeah, I think in time, uh, now that this whole thing has been broken, there's no magic, uh, yeah, there's no magic force field between a player and 100%. I imagine Jeter will get it next year. And then, you know, down the line, you know, uh, you know, now that I think steroid testing is at least, uh, you know, whether it's uh, fail-safe or not, it, it isn't. But, you know, now I think there's at least testing that kind of uh, makes people not have to guess so much about a player's, uh, you know, cleanliness. Uh, I think you'll see a, a less of the moralizing, more of just like, was this guy a great player? Yes. You know, stamp him 100%. I think we'll probably see that, you know, maybe not every year, but... I would say maybe at least once a decade. Does the honor for Mariano Rivera carry more weight being voted unanimously? 
compared to, say, Mike Messina, who got 76% of the vote? A little bit, you know, but ultimately, you know, say like in 20 years when uh, you you just kind of know who's there, but not how they got there. um, I don't think it will be as much. I think there will be maybe a footnote in Rivera's case. And given that Yankees are never short on on revering their legends and hearing about them, um, I imagine they'll be tagged to him, the first DNS Hall of Famer. But you know, when you look at the plaque when you're in the Hall of Fame, they're all the same shape and size, and no one's placed any different. Whether they're first ballot or fifteenth ballot or Veterans Committee, you know, Harold Baines is, you know, as much uh, agonizing as there's been over Harold Baines's selection. His plaque will be in the same size and shape and color as Rivera's. So ultimately, it's a neat little honor for Rivera, and I, I think it'll be a, a neat honor for players going forward. You know, first ballot versus guys who had to sweat a little. But uh, ultimately, you know, it's forgotten, or at least, uh, you know, mostly forgotten. Uh, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, they did not get a big boost this year. They just gained a couple of percentage points, especially from writers. They did not get a boost from writers who kept their ballots private. For those that made them public, it looked like this would be a good year for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. They were in the low 70 percent, but drastically dropping when the private ballots came in. And they only have three years left, Jim, on the Hall of Fame ballot. Do you think they make it? I don't think so. I think this represents a ceiling. I think their their vote totals will tick up more as younger writers get into the electorate and older writers who are maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, whether traditional or just to have more reactionary uh, viewpoints towards uh, PEDs, um, you know, I think the balance will tilt a little bit in their favor to where their vote totals will keep going up. But I could probably see their uh, support maybe capping at like 65, 66%. <sighs> I think they should be in. That's my opinion. I think Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens should be in the Hall of Fame. They're two of the greatest players that ever played the game. And Whatever year you want to say, this is when they started using steroids. Okay, they were a Hall of Famer before that year as well. That That's my opinion. That's how I feel. And I feel like the Writers Association would be making a, a mistake on not including Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I think when it comes to... Uh, yeah, I always think back to Mark McGuire in 1998 and Sammy Sosa and, you know, being about how big these players were and how they were still celebrated. And then, you know, once, you know, kind of Congress moved and everything, everybody reversed course. And given, you know, how popular they were and how much they meant, it seems a little bit weird to punish them retroactively for something that so benefited the game. So that's why I tend to be more lenient. I understand, like, in the case like Manny Ramirez failing two tests, that maybe that's a bit over the line. But I think when it comes to guys who were using but celebrated for it, you know, or at least, you know, not, uh, you know, mm-hmm. not being even, you know, even questioning them was considered rude by the larger media and, and larger baseball establishment at the time. It just seems weird to pretend like people weren't celebrating them every step of the way when it happened then. So that's why I tend to be for them unless there is like a failed test. Then I kind of get that as drawing a harder line. And the older writers that you mentioned, Jim, they were the ones celebrating these guys. Writing books. Making yeah. money yeah. off them. I, I think this is a mistake and hopefully could be rectified in three years. But I, I'm, I'm with you, Jim. I'm not as confident 
anymore that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens will get in from the writers. And then you're hoping that a committee of ex players and other major league executives decide to vote them in. And I don't know, that could be decades. It, it could be decades. Yeah, if you get Frank, Th- if you get Frank Thomas on the committee, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. We could be Jim, we could be in our fifties before Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens make it into the hall of fame. And then they would be yeah. in their seventies. I think it would take their peers, you know, somebody who maybe understands the era a bit better. Although, you know, Thomas was one of their peers. And so, you know, he has his opinions, but, uh, and, but when it comes to like just the larger baseball world, you know, it's, yeah, it's a complicated thorny issue, but I just, I have a hard time moralizing it over too much based on just how much baseball benefited from something that was obviously a little bit weird at the time. Now, next year, Derek Jeter is the big name for the class to be voted in. And it really sounds like he's a shoe in to be voted in in 2020, but Paul Konerko will be making his first appearance on the Hall of Fame ballot. And Jim, I, I'm a bit worried. I, I'm rooting for Paulie. I hope that he can stay on the ballot as long as possible, but I'm worried that he's not going to reach the 5%. And in his first year of eligibility, he will fall off the ballot. Like we've seen with other great players. I think Lance Berkman fell off the ballot this year. Uh, how do you feel about Paul Konerko's chances of surviving the 5% cutoff? Well, watching, you know, watching Harold Baines get in through the veterans committee, it seems like if you're a White Sox favorite, you should want to get off the writer's ballot as quickly <laughs> as possible. Get in the veterans committee and hope that Jerry Reinsdorf is on your side. Cause that's probably a lot easier than, you know, being on the ballot for 10 years, hanging, you know, with supports around 20% and, and, you know, and hoping that, uh, you know, somebody is on your side when the veterans committee comes in. So, yeah, it doesn't seem like he has a shot, and I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned Berkman because he's who came to mind. Uh, you know, with the ten player limit, I didn't see any room for Berkman on a on a on a sturdy ballot. Um, you know, I, I came up with about twelve names I wanted to vote for before Berkman, and Berkman, you know, probably deserves more consideration. But you know, I think right now you can probably get um, Canerco onto the ballot. Um, you know, maybe in the tenth spot if you want to. Um, depends on how you feel about you know certain. You know, whether you feel about, you know, Bonds and Clemens, about them using, whether you feel about, you know, I saw Andrew Jones came up and, and um, you know, then news or some people who are anti-Andrew Jones, um, you know, posted links to his domestic abuse uh, arrest. And so you can kind of see like, okay, yeah, there's a character clause coming in there. But, you know, there are a couple of guys whose cases are kind of hairy for um, extracurricular reasons. And so maybe that 10th spot opens up, and, and I kind of miss that, you know, going back to, you know, before this massive backlog happened and before you had, like, 15 guys for 10 spots trying to figure out musical chairs. I miss those courtesy votes or guys you like giving a nod to, um, you know, guys you'd use, like, an 8th spot in the ballot for to say, like, hey, great career. Um, yeah, I know sometimes those votes are considered homerish and unprofessional, but, you know, back when there were only maybe seven deserving guys in the ballot, you know, using a spot for, like, a, hey, nice career. Yeah, I never really minded that. It's kind of a nice way to celebrate these very good players who just don't quite make the cut, and Canerco will probably be in that case. But I just wouldn't want to see him get shut out because I think you know, he meant a lot to Chicago. He uh, had a great career. Um, you know, especially I, I liked when he was in his retirement tour and the way the divisional rivals celebrated his career. Like, you know, he meant, uh, you know, he made an impact in a lot of games and, and fought a lot of battles and, and, you know, given his stature, you know, you'd like to see him not get shut out the way that Freddie Garcia and John Garland did. Yeah, I agree with you. I hope that some of the writers do vote 
for Paul Canerco. Looking, going back to this class, that's why I think it was big for Mike Messina to be inducted. Mm-hmm. Because as you mentioned, Jim, when I look at the ballot, and I'm part of the Internet Baseball Writers Association, when we do our Hall of Fame ba- voting, we could vote up to 15 players. And that that's a lot. And the, the 10 seems to not be a good number, especially with this class. Because when you look at this list, you could realistically, there's 12 or 13 guys that I think should be considered to be in the Hall of Fame. I think Scott Rowland is a top 10 all-time third baseman mm-hmm. in major leagues. And he's struggling right now. Uh, and maybe Larry Walker gets the Tim Raines, Edgar Martinez push next year uh, and makes it into the Hall of Fame. But I, I guess when the class is a little bit light that's coming in where you only have like one guarantee guy to make it into the Hall of Fame, and that's Derek Jeter, maybe it does open up the spot for the voters who consistently keep voting for 10 players. Uh, maybe Paul Canerco could be that ninth or 10th guy that a writer votes for and he could survive and, and hopefully stay on the ballot. I, I don't think he's a hall of famer. I don't want to get anyone confused about that. I think if there was to such quote unquote hall of very good, Paul Canerco would make it. Uh, but I, I don't want to watch next year, next January, Jim, and see a zero next to Paul Canerco's name. That'd be a little bit heartbreaking. Yeah, you know, the way I look at the ballot is kind of like a temporary Hall of Fame. You know, if you hang around the ballot for 10 years, that's 10 years where your name comes up with other baseball greats. People kind of talk about you, think about you, uh, debate your career, laugh about your career, make a joke like, say, like, you know, like they do with Freddie Garcia and John Garland, just about ha ha ha, you know, voting for them. Uh, But, you know, it's just a way to, you know, and and some writers like Jay Jaffe on Fangraphs and uh, Joe Posnanski, I think they just review every single guy and they get a paragraph and just a way to remember uh, guys that put in 10 plus years of good baseball and and will eventually be, uh, you know, largely forgotten. But for those 10 years, it's kind of like a temporary haul. And I've always liked that idea. (laughs) And so when a guy is kind of languishing in the, 15, 20 percent. It's it's always been like a little bit like, um, yeah, I could see in some cases, like I remember Alan Trammell being the case. And when they had that massive backlog, you know, why bother voting for Trammell? He's not going to get the momentum. But, you know, it's it's a way to, uh, you know, keep giving them a nod um, when you think they're deserving. And also, um, and then in some cases, like with Trammell, he got in the Veterans Committee. You know, Harold Baines, I think, is going to be a one-off, a kind of a um, you know, not somebody who sets a precedent for other guys. It's going to be a weird aberration of a case, but uh, but you know, just it does matter. I think when, like, say Fred McGriff will be a case. You know, I think his uh, he peaked at about forty percent, uh, but I think when he goes in the veterans committee, you know, given the whole uh, you know his power credentials, the era he played in, uh, clean record, you know, having forty percent of the ballots and you know and hanging around for the entirety of his time uh, does matter when it comes to getting that extra support and consideration in the Veterans Committee. Before we sign off on this episode, two quick topics. One, non-roster invites were released for the Chicago White Sox. Jim, you did, speaking of writing paragraphs about everyone, you wrote a paragraph about as far as the tiers of players that are going to be invited to spring training in 2019 for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Jim, who are some names that stand out to you that, you know, could be maybe uh, dark horse contenders of making the 25-man roster to start the 2019 season? Oh, Randall Delgado, I think, is the most proven of the outsiders coming in. Um, I think he fills that Hector Santiago role as a swing man, somebody who can take spot starts, you know, assuming he's healthy. 
Uh, his career in Arizona ended with a couple injuries, a flexor strain, oblique strain. Um, but when he's healthy, you know, he can throw two, three innings in a relief appearance. He can throw uh, the occasional spot start, and I think that has some use given how much the White Sox used Santiago last year. So I think he's the obvious guy uh, when looking at the, the roster. Uh, otherwise, you know, the outsiders, uh, they just added Chris Johnson, uh, if you remember him, from third baseman of the Atlanta, Houston, Arizona uh, you know, National League fame had a couple good years. Uh, they assigned him to a minor league deal. Not a, not a, uh, not an invitation to spring training, but I think he's 34 now. Um, you know, he's an interesting name just because I remember him being floated in trade talks and free agent signings and whatnot. But I think his best days are behind him. Otherwise, uh, I think we kind of know what we're dealing with when it comes to the 25 man roster and. Uh, I don't see anybody making a surge from the outside. I think it's more when it comes to guys like Zach Thompson, Zach Collins, and and uh, you know, say Jordan Guerrero or Danny Mendick or you know those guys just kind of putting themselves, you know, trying to win some uh, favorable impressions in spring training with Rick Renteria and his staff, trying to jockey for uh, call ups, um, just trying to be front of mind should some emergencies arise in April and, and guys need to be called up in short order. The second topic is that this weekend, Jim, it's socks fast. Woo! Yeah. I know a lot of people are pumped to be going this weekend. It is sold out. The White Sox did sell out socks fast. All the prospects are there. So if you love getting autographs or you want to get your picture taken with some of the top prospects, they will be there in attendance, as well as Manny Machado's brother in law, Yonder Alonso. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> I don't know if you saw these videos on social media about Yonder Alonso calling uh, season ticket holders for to get them to renew. But was that today? Because I, I was uh, flying today. Yeah, that was today. Yeah, so they're okay. Yeah, I had to catch up on that. So the season ticket holders, all of them were asking, "What's going on with Manny Machado? Poor guy. <laughs> Ever since he signed with the White Sox, nobody cares about Yonder Alonso. They all care about his brother-in-law. Uh, you know what though? Yonder, I, I give him a lot of credit. He is. He's a sport. He is. He's. T- he's taking this in stride. And he, he's trying to address the matter uh, as best as he possibly can. But I'm sure any any of the sessions that go on this weekend that Yonder Alonso will be involved, everyone is going to be asking about Manny Machado. Which brings me to the last question of this episode. Do you expect a big announcement at SoxFest this weekend? I don't. Uh, I think Machado is too big a fish to where you know the White Sox could sit on it for that long. Also, it would be bad business. Hmm. You know, all the all the media in Chicago, sports media in Chicago, is paying attention to him already. I mean, it's not like the Bulls or Blackhawks are really, uh, you know, demanding out of out of market eyes. So when it comes to you know the Cubs convention, you know, always draws um, you know a lot of stories away for writers to get a bunch of quotes and kind of stock up on stories for the week ahead and the week before. And so I think SoxFest is already a draw, and, and you know it's already a way for the White Sox to get coverage that they normally don't get in the winter. So to pack a Machado story in that same window as opposed to signing them in late December and having all this buildup going into the SoxFest, and uh, you know then you know having explode then it just seems like you're taking a month plus of potential coverage and condensing it into three days, and I, that's what I wouldn't get. So I, I as Cool as it would be, I mean, it would be objectively cool if the White Sox were somehow uh, able to sneak it in, even if it would be a bad business decision. But it just seems like uh, it would be 
it, it, I just don't see it happening for just a couple of reasons like that. We'll hopefully have audio highlights for you guys at our next podcast episode, which we're going to shift back to our regular Monday releases starting on January 28th. So for those that are not going to be able to make it to SoxFest, we'll try to have audio highlights for you guys on that Monday episode of the Q&A session with Rick Hahn. Without a doubt, he is going to get a lot of questions regarding Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, what the White Sox were trying to do this offseason and what they're trying to accomplish in the near future. I'm sure it will be very entertaining as the fans get to take over the mic and ask questions to the big guy. And like I said, hopefully we'll have audio highlights for you. For those that are not attending Sox Fest, you know, you'll be able to hear what Rick Hahn has to say on those topics. Speaking of Sox Fest, we will be having our Sox Fest after party on Friday, January 25th at Buffalo Wings and Rings from 7 p.m. to midnight. It is sold out. Absolutely crazy to see 150 people RSVP for this event. If you RSVP'd, we can't wait to see you guys. we got a lot of stuff going on other than just mingling and chatting with other White Sox fans. We have White Sox trivia. You get an opportunity to win a $25 gift card to help pay for your food and beer tab at Buffalo Wings and Rains on Friday. We have three roundtable discussions. Clinton Cole of Future Sox along with Patrick Nolan. P. Knowles will discuss the future White Sox. Jim Margulis will be paired with James Fegan, our special guest of the party from The Athletic to talk about the present day White Sox and what are the big storylines that they are going to be following for 2019 and for crazy bold predictions and also predicting some over-unders. I'll be joined at the finale with the Section 108 crew. It's going to be an absolute blast. It'll be a great time and I look forward to seeing everyone there. And that will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. If you just discovered the show, you can listen and subscribe to our show in numerous ways. One is obviously iTunes if you have an iPhone or iPad. You can also subscribe to our show via Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis... I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.